How are we feeling? Everybody feeling good? Everybody excited? You know, David said, I was glad when they said to me, let's go up to the house of the Lord. You guys feel that way this morning? I, do. I was glad. I was glad when Nina said, let's go to church. I said, is it Sunday? <laughs> I, um, I met, uh, I had a chance, I was actually going to have, we were having lunch yesterday with some friends of ours, and just before I got there, I got a call from my previous pastor, Ed Visor. How many of you guys remember Ed Visor? And so, uh, you're going to appreciate this. Uh, so, I, we were just talking, just kind of getting caught up, and he had heard about what I was going through, and he'd had some health issues, and his wife, Peggy, has had some health issues. And I was asking him how she was. I said, this is a, I mean, she get up, she walks, she, you know, is she okay? And he said, yeah, no, she, she watches a lot of television, though. And he says, we got this new... Uh, you know, this new cable channel, and uh, he said, you know, to be honest, she's, she's watching a lot of, uh, you know, R-rated stuff and pornography. And I said, seriously? He said, yeah, you know, every time I go up there, she's watching the presidential conventions, you know? So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Got to love that guy. He's a great man, and uh, I'm hoping to have lunch with him this next week, so uh, I'll, get you, I'll get you guys caught up. All right, so um, we're going to plow through this. This is going to be the last uh, in the series that I've been doing on uh, hearing God's voice, and so uh, why don't we uh, uh, you know, want to thank the worship team. You guys did a great job. I noticed we had a new star on the worship team this morning, you know. Uh, <laughs> you guys did a great job. Uh, just join with me for just a second. Father, we want to just bless you. We lift our hands. Let, uh, you know, just, just we declare uh, Psalm 150. It says, let everything, everyone or everything that has breath praise the name of the Lord, Father. And that's what we want to do this morning. We lift our hands. We bless you. We praise you. We welcome you to this house, Lord God. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Father, we thank you for the forgiveness of sin. God, that you wash us, that you cleanse us in the blood of your son, Jesus, Lord God. Your word says that if we confess our sins, and it doesn't matter how deep or dark or bad they've been, your word says that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, we pray that you just wash us this morning. Lord, the hardness of our heart, Lord, sometimes we, you know, we presume things, Lord God, and and we just think that, you know, just because you're, we're a Christian, like Paul said, you know, shall we sin because grace abounds? And he said, God forbid. No. God cleanse our hearts. Give us a, a pure heart, a clean heart. David said, uh, you know, uh, uh, clean me, Father. Give me a pure heart, a clean heart. Uh, cleanse my heart, O God. And we ask that this morning as we come into your presence. And God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, so uh, we're going to be, if, you're, if you want to just kind of jump ahead, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1, in Hebrews chapter 2, and uh, in Mark chapter 2. So if you want to just kind of mark those places in your Bible or on your electronic device, those are uh, the a few places that we're going to be. Uh, but if you don't know how to find some of those Hebrews, just go all the way to the back and start coming forward before Revelation, a couple of books before uh, Hebrews, but we're going to spend most of our time in Mark chapter uh, 2 this morning. But 
Hebrews chapter 1 starts off like this. We talk about, remember, we're talking about hearing uh, God's voice. He says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, and Nina was talking about the last days, I think it's kind of interesting that the Hebrew writer writing this, uh, you know, some 2,000 years ago, he says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He has spoken to us by his son, whom he's appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And then we move to Hebrews chapter 2, just the very next, very next chapter. And then he says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. Speaking about what we have heard from God's Son, so that we do not drift away. I came across this story. This is almost so hard to, to, to believe. But uh, Jose uh, Salvador, and I'm going to butcher this last name, but I think it's pronounced Alvarenga, um, set out from Mexico in a 23 four-foot boat in November of 2012. He was blown out to sea, uh, and that day, in that day, uh, the motor went out in his boat, a storm came up, and he was, uh, and he actually, uh, he had a partner that normally went with him on these fishing trips, but his partner couldn't go that day, and there was a young Olympic, not Olympic, a you know, soccer um, kind of star from their community that volunteered to go with him for $50 a day to kind of help him catch fish. They, got, they get out in the ocean, the motor goes out, um, storm blows in, and uh, they start throwing, kind of like in the book of Acts, they start throwing things overboard. This guy spent 14 months, get this, 14 months, his partner, the young man, died. And he said that he was so delirious, you know, I mean, not having food, not having water, uh, being alone, just drifting out in the sea uh, for 14 months. And after about three months, his partner dies, this young man dies. And he said that he propped him up in a sitting position and talked to him every day so that he'd have someone to talk to, you know, and ask him how he slept that night, how... You know, did he dream? Was he hungry? Was he thirsty? If there's anything that he could do. And finally, after seven days, he said he came to his mind. He said, I'm talking to the dead. I'm actually talking to the dead. And he took the young man's clothes off because he thought he could use them and, you know, threw him overboard. He drifted, uh, I think, over 6,000 miles in the ocean. And he ended up in... Um, Let's see, he, was, uh, he, washed, he washed ashore in, uh, I, I don't know, someplace 6,000 miles away, surviving on uh, fish and birds and turtles that he was able to catch by hand. He would, uh, you know, uh, he did have some hooks with him, but he would catch a fish and then, then dangle the, the little, you know, the pieces of the fish over, and uh, he was drinking. I mean, this thing is just like so gross. I mean, he's drinking his own urine, uh, rainwater when it was available, drinking the blood of turtles and birds, and uh, drifting over, you know, like I said, 
uh, 6,000 miles, and he ended up in the Marshall Islands, you know. Unbelievable, unbelievable story. But the Bible says that you and I have a tendency to drift. That That's what the Word said that we just read. You know, uh, the Hebrew writer says, Take care, be careful, take heed to yourself that you uh, do not drift away, drift away from the Word of God. And so I want to just point out uh, briefly, um, you know, five things that I believe that cause us to drift. But before I get to that, let me just share with you out of Mark chapter 2. This is one of those great stories of Jesus. And I'll tell you what, you know, I've been a believer since 1970, and uh, I've probably have read this, I've read this account hundreds of times since then. And I saw something in it this time that I read through it that I've never seen before, and I want to share that with you. Let me just read the text, and then we'll come back and talk about it. It says, a few days later, Jesus again entered into Capernaum. And that word, that word Capernaum means the, a, a field of repentance and the city of comfort. A field of repentance and a city of comfort. And it's going to make a little bit more sense as we, as we move through the story. And the people heard uh, that he had come home. That was kind of his hometown. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. And some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man uh, carried by four of them. And since they could, get, could not get him, at, uh, not, since they could not get him to Jesus uh, because of the crowd, they made an open, opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. And then they lowered the mat or the cot that the man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, remember it was their faith that he saw, not the faith of the man that was on the cot. This is when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man. Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. And he, they said to themselves, who can forgive sin but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit uh, that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. He knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, uh, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. And he got up and took his mat and walked out in full view of, this, of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never ever, 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 that's not in there, but I'm just adding it, but we've never seen anything like this at all. We've never seen anything like this. All right, so now I want to go back and I'll just kind of go through the story with you. So th these guys hear about Jesus, and I don't know what they heard. They heard that, you know, that maybe he, you know, they heard about a leper being healed, or maybe they heard about a, um, a someone that was lame, or they heard about a woman with an issue of blood. And, and these four guys are thinking, if we can get our friend, I want you to think about this because many of you have friends that don't know Jesus. But they're thinking, if we can get our friend to Jesus, Jesus is going to make our friend okay. Now, the cool part of this story, and this is the part that really just kind of blew me away, you know, 
when, G, when they drop the mat down and, and lower this man down into the midst of Jesus, Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. And I want to tell you, at that moment, if that man would have died, where would he have gone? Come on. Don't, don't be afraid. Shout it out. Where's he going? He's going to heaven. His sins are forgiven, right? His sins are forgiven. Okay? So, and then Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And he's looking at the man, telling the man that he's, his sins are forgiven. But in his spirit, he hears this group over here saying, how can this man forgive sins? He's blaspheming. That's blasphemy. He's bla that's blasphemy. No one can forgive sins but God. And he turns his attention from the paralyzed man whose sins are forgiven to this group over here and says, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Okay? Sins forgiven, paralyzed. Why are you thinking these things in your heart? But that you may know that the Son of Man has a power and the authority to forgive sins. And then he says to them, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? And he says that you may know that the Son of Man has the power not only to forgive sins, but to say, pick up your mat and walk. And then he goes back to the man whose sins are forgiven. And he says, son, pick up your mat and go home. All right, guys, I want to just tell you that I believe there's a, there's a time space there, okay? You got you to gotta get this or you won't get the story. There's a time space. The guy's sins are forgiven, but he's still paralyzed. Okay? He's paralyzed. And he's going over here and he's talking to these guys here about why are you thinking these things in your heart? Guy's still paralyzed. His sins are forgiven, but he's still paralyzed. If he dies, he's going to heaven, but he's still paralyzed. And I want to just tell you that that time space, although it's not very long, I want to tell you there's a lot of people in the church that are just like that. Their sins are forgiven. They have a right relationship with God. But they're paralyzed. And they're not doing what God... Got, that guy paralyzed on the mat. He can, what, what can he do? There's not a whole lot he can do you know, for God. There's not a lot that he can do. He can't go out. He can't you know, go out and evangelize. I mean, unless someone's carrying him on the cot. But he can't get up and walk. And he can't go out and preach. And he can't declare the glory of God unless somebody is helping him. And I'm not belittling his friends at all. Man, I think it's great that we have friends that, that encourage us and help us to get to God. But if, you know, Jesus wanted that man to be whole. He didn't want four men to be carrying him everywhere he went whenever he needed to get there. He had to have four guys carry him there. And, 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 and so, you know, when you come to the place where you have sin in your life or you have something going on in your life that's hindering you from doing what God wants you to do. You're just like the paralyzed man. Your sins are forgiven and you have a right relationship with God and you can talk to God, 
but many people in the church today are paralyzed and they can't get off their mat and they can't go do what God wants them to do. That's what I want to talk about this morning. You know, how do you get out of that place? How do you get from the place of being knowing God and being paralyzed from, you know, from uh, what Jesus said, you know, pick up your mat and walk, get out of here. And one of the reasons that, you know, I mean, I've been a pastor for, you know, 20 years, I think, uh, um, this August, hey, tomorrow is August, um, I will be, have been a pastor for 20 years. And um, in 20 years, I tell you what, I've seen a lot of Christians, I can't tell you, you know, it's just amazing how, how we see, you know, Christians that come in, it's just like they're on fire. I mean, it's just like, my gosh, this guy's going to tear the world up. And it's the next day, it's like, you know, his world's falling apart. And the world, world's tearing him up. But let me just give you a few points here, and I'm going to move quickly through this. Number one, I think one of the number one reasons that many of us are paralyzed, and when I say paralyzed, I just mean you're, you're, you're not completely the man or woman that God wants you to be. That you're, It's not that you're... Remember the parable of the sower? And in the parable of the sower... You know, some of the seed fell on the pathway, and the birds of the air picked it up right away, and some, you know, of that seed fell into uh, the thorny ground, and it said that the cares of this world began to choke that seed, and, you know, uh, and then the, the final seed, you know, there were four of them, but the final one was that it said that some of them brought a harvest of 30, 60, and 100-fold. Uh, and, and I've often wondered about that, you know, what, you know, what was the difference, you know, why why was there only a 30-fold harvest or a 60-fold harvest and some got a 100-fold harvest? You know, I, this might apply, and maybe it doesn't, but uh, I think one of the number, number one things that you and I deal with, you know, when we begin to drift from God is when we take our eyes off of God. Remember, you know, when uh, the disciples were in the boat and they saw Jesus coming across the sea and Peter said, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come, and Jesus said, come on get out of the boat and come on. And he started walking toward Jesus. And then he took his eyes off of Jesus. He's walking up. Peter's walking on the water just like Jesus is walking on the water. He took his eyes off of the Lord and he began to look at the wind and the waves. And he got distracted by the wind and the waves. And I tell you, the wind and the waves, the wind's going to blow. And the waves are going to roar and they're going to rage. And there's always going to be wind and waves in our life. But if we take our eyes off of Jesus and start looking at the wind and the waves, it's when our lives begin to fall apart. We keep looking at Jesus. It's like, you know, remember what he said about the, the house, the two houses? A man built a house. One built a house on a, a rock. Another one built a house on the sand. He said, when the storms of life came, when the rain and the wind and, and, the, and the storms of life began to beat on the house that was built on the rock, it was not shaken because it was built on a solid foundation. So, number one, uh, I think that we, get, we, get, we, we begin to drift from God when we get busy. And all of us are busy. I, I tell you, if I, just, I, just, I challenge you to do this. When you walk out of here or just record the next ten people that you have an encounter with and ask them how life is. I, you know, I've asked, I, I can ask ten people that. I, many times I get the same answer. Oh, man, I'm busy. I'm busy. I am busy, busy, busy. I am busy. I am busy. Uh, busyness, I think a busy schedule uh, will distract us from God, and it will cause us to drift. Remember, in, um, 
And Jesus was talking, he was visiting the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and Martha was distracted uh, by the big dinner. I mean, and who wouldn't be? I mean, if you thought Jesus was coming to your house today, I mean, what would you do? I mean, I, I know what the women would do in this place. They'd be bailing right now. You know, I mean, they was like, man, I'm going to go clean up. I got to get the house ready. It's got to be spotless. I don't want him looking in the closets. You know, it's got a couple of rooms here that I'm just going to seal off, and we're going to have a nice dinner, and I'm going to make sure it's perfect. Everything is going to be good. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, God wants us to present our best, but it says that Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing, and she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I'm doing all the work? She was busy. Martha was busy. Tell her to come help me, Martha said. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you were worried about many things and upset over all of these details. There's only one thing that is worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. So what he was saying is that, you know, you got a lot of busyness, and yes, your work is important, and your house is important, your children, all the activities that you do are important. But if you get so busy doing that that you put God on the back burner, you know, things are out of order in your life. You are too, you're too busy. And if you're too busy to pray, if you're too busy to read the Word of God, you're too busy. Bottom line. All right? Um, the next thing, I'm, I'm having a little computer problem here. Um, next point is that uh, you know, someone said we often sacrifice the best things in life by spending time doing the things that are just pretty good. There are a lot of good things in life. And I'm not talking about even sinful things. They're just, you know, there's nothing wrong with the activities that we do, but when those activities take priority over the Lord and our commitment to Him and reading His Word, then our life is out of order. The second thing that will cause you and I to drift are worldly desires and affections. And the Word of God says in 1 John chapter uh, 2, verse 15, do not love the world are the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So our worldly desires, you know, we look at these things, and again, it's so easy to become distracted by that. You know, um, uh, the, the lessons that we teach our children, that it's okay, it's okay to miss church to do, you know, some of these other things. We'd never think about, you know, uh, missing a day or two of work, just, you know, calling the boss and say, hey, I'm not going to come to work. I, you know, my, my kid's got a soccer game, so I'm not coming to work today or a baseball game or a football game, or I decided I want to play golf today. You know, I'm not going to come to work. We'd never think about doing that. But, I mean, we do that to the Lord all the time. You know, it's like, oh, man, it's a beautiful day outside. You know, I, I'm going to the mountains. I'm going to go, you know, hunting or fishing or whatever. The, net, the third thing that I think that causes, you know, you and I to um, drift away from God is discouragement. We'll remember the children of Israel in the wilderness as they're walking around the mountain, around and around the mountain. You know, they're, they're 40 years there in the mountain, you know, uh, just going around the mountain. And, and it said that the people were very discouraged. And they began to murmur against God and to complain about Moses. I mean, you think, I mean, you think about it. Moses is like the, you know, one of the outside of God, one of the greatest Old Testament leaders that there was. And, I mean, you know, New Testament is just full of, you know, quotes and comments and, and the story and the life of Moses. You know, remember Jesus was saying, uh, you know, that we've got Father 
uh, or the, the Jews were saying to Jesus, we've got Father Abraham, we've got Moses, you know, what have, what have you given us? Nothing. And, uh, you know, he said, those things that they gave you, that, that manna, that quail didn't come from Moses, that came from God the Father. And uh, so it says that the people were discouraged and they began to murmur against God and complain against Moses. We have all done that. We've all had expectations of God that we thought God was going to do something. We thought God was going to send us to this school or that school, or we were going to marry this person or that person, or we we're going to have that kind of job. We were going to make this kind of money. And we look at our lives and we say, you know, we get, begin to complain to God. You know, you know, look at where I am. God, you know, is this the best that you've got for me? I mean, I look at other people and I see how they're successful and how they're prospering and is this all you've got for me God and they begin to murmur and complain about the very things that God has given them just like the children of Israel here here it says they were very discouraged and they began to murmur against God and to complain against Moses why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in this wilderness they whine there's nothing to eat here nothing to drink here and we hate this manna um, you know, just they were just murmuring and complaining against God. They were discouraged. But when Moses died, and it would have been a good time for, for Joshua, who was next in command, to be discouraged because he was young and he didn't really know a whole lot. Uh, but God comes to him and he speaks to him and he says, uh, Joshua, I want you to be strong and I want you to be courageous and I don't want you to be afraid and I don't want you to be discouraged. For the Lord your God is going to be with you wherever you go. That, that's not just a word for Joshua. That's a word for you as well. You know, be strong and be courageous. Remember, you know, when David uh, had come back from the battle of Ziklag, and as they, or, uh, or he came back to Ziklag, he'd been fighting and living with the Philistines, he and his 600 men. He comes back. The, his, the town that he's living in has been burned down. His wives, all of the men, the 600 men that were with him, their wives had been taken uh, captive and their children and all of their possessions had been taken uh, captive and, and stolen. And uh, it's said that the men that were with him, these are David's mighty men. These are 600 of his closest friends. And it said they talked about stoning him. They were going to kill their very best friend. And it said that David got away by himself. Okay, this is what you do when discouragement comes in. When you become discouraged and you're frustrated with life, it says that David got alone by himself and he began to encourage himself. Remember when he said, soul, why are you disquieted, my soul? Why are you troubled, my soul? Put your hope back in God. Put your faith and your hope back in God. See, that's what we need to do. Sometimes there's, there's nothing that anyone can say that's going to change your situation or even the way that you feel. But I'm telling you, one word from God, just one word from God can change your life in a moment and take it and turn it upside down. And instead of living on the bottom, now you're living on the top. Instead of being, you know, drugged through life, uh, or, you know, it's just like, you know, all of a sudden life is good. In a moment, God can change that. And it, so all, it ha all that requires is you doing what David did, getting by yourself with you and God and asking God, you know, to, you know, break the situation, break the power of the enemy in your life. The, the fourth thing, believe it or not, is not being discouraged, 
but having too much. These are things that distract us from God. Listen to this. It says the love of money is the root, the love, not money, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Some, by longing for it, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves. They have drifted. That's another word that you could use, drift there. Those that have gone after money said, okay, I'm going to put God on the back burner. And uh, God, when I, when I do these things, when I do these uh, accomplishments in my life, when I complete X, Y, and Z, you and, our, you and I are going to get back together. And the Word of God is saying that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered or have drifted away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And then we read in... Uh, Deuteronomy, and as the children of Israel are going into the promised land, now keep in mind, they're coming out of Egypt, they have absolutely nothing except, you know, what they're carrying on their back and what their animals are carrying. And it said that, you know, they were living in tents and they didn't have a whole lot. But God said, I'm going to give you houses that you didn't build. I'm going to give you wells that you didn't dig. I'm going to give you vineyards that you didn't plant. You know, he says, I'm going to bless you. But he says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commandments and His laws and His decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied with this, all of this abundance that you have, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and your gold is increased, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart, remember your heart, your heart, that's where the, you know, all of these thoughts, these issues of life come from the heart. We'll talk about that more in a moment. Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. God says, beware of that. that just a caution. Just a red flag. You know, be, just, just be aware that you know, too much sometimes can take you away from God. And you know, by the way, many of you probably don't know this, these statistics, but if you're an American you have 99% uh, more than most of the world's population. You have, you're, you're wealthier than 99% more than the rest of the world. Um, and finally, the last thing is persistent sin. The sin that we can't seem to get over or overcome, this causes us to drift. It's just like, you know, I see God, I see, I see you, you know, I, I, you healed this guy here, but you didn't, you're not healing me. I see this guy right here has got off of drugs and alcohol. I'm still struggling with drugs and alcohol. I mean, what, what is it, God? You love this guy more than you love me? What's going on, God? What, you know, what is it? Um, so the Bible talks about a persistent sin. Out of, in Matthew chapter 15, it says, Out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false testimony and slander. These are the things that defile a person. And so if you're dealing with these things, and remember, you know, Jesus said if you hate your brother in your heart, it's the same as murder. If you lust after someone in your heart, it's the same as committing adultery. He said these things are coming out of the heart. Uh, and then he goes on to say, when you follow, this is from Galatians chapter 5, when you follow your own wrong inclinations, your lives will produce these evil results, impure thoughts eagerness for lust or pleasure, idolatry, uh, spiritism, that is engaging 
uh, the activity of demons. Hatred and fighting and jealousy and anger. Constant efforts to get the best for yourself. Complaints and, uh, and criticism. The feeling that everyone else is wrong except those in your own little group. There will be wrong doctrine, envy and murder and drunkenness, wild parties and all sorts of things. Let me tell you again, as I've told you before, anyone living that kind of life will not enter the kingdom of God. I remember a time when uh, my dad and I were uh, fishing um, on, a, on the river and uh, we were in like a little flat bottom boat and the motor broke. And uh, he's back there, you know, trying to get the motor started and he's just cranking and cranking and cranking and you know, for some reason, we didn't, we didn't have a rope, and we didn't have an anchor, and uh, we're just drifting down the river. And I want to tell you that, you know, from the time that we actually, you know, were able to drift up toward the bank, and, and we weren't really paying attention, you know, he's, you know, working on the motor, figuring that sooner or later to get the thing started, but he's cranking on the thing, it won't start. And he takes out the spark plug and cleans the spark plug. Meanwhile, we're still drifting down the river. You know, uh, it, it's like this is going on for what seems like, you know, you know, 45 minutes, maybe an hour. You know, from the time that the motor stopped uh, to the time that we actually got to the bank, we were so many miles away from where we had started. And, uh, and it was a very, very, very long walk home. It was like midnight, raining, uh, my mom ends up driving down, all the, in the, this was uh, down in Texas in the oil field where my dad worked, and all of the roads that were there were about a mile apart, but all of them went to the river. And so, uh, so you might, you would go a mile, and you might have two miles of road to go to the river, and you go over another mile, and you might have three miles that goes to the river because of the bends and the winds in the river. And I remember my mom had to drive down every one of those roads, you know, knowing that eventually, you know, that we would show up on one of those roads. And after midnight, you know, and it was just, you know, just a simple little thing, you know, that the engine stopped running and we're drifting, we're drifting. You know, and it, and it all really begins, I believe that all drifting away from God begins in our heart. And this, this story probably summarizes it better than anything I could say. This was a, a, a story that was written by Malcolm uh, uh, Mugridge. He was a, uh, a journalist and he, wor he worked in uh, India. And he says that uh, one morning he had left his uh, residence to go to a nearby river for a swim. And as he entered the water across the river, he saw an Indian woman from the nearby village who had come to have her morning bath. Impulsively, he felt the allurement of the moment and the temptation. And all of this is storming his mind. He had lived with this kind of struggle for years, but somehow had fought it off in honor of and commitment to his wife. But on this occasion, however, he wondered if he could cross that line of marital fidelity. He struggled just for a moment, 
And then he began to swim furiously toward the woman, literally trying to outdistance his conscience. His mind fed him with the fantasies that stolen waters would be sweet, and he swam harder for it. Now he was just two or three feet away uh, as he emerged from the water, and any emotion that may have gripped him paled into, into insignificance when compared with the devastation that shattered him as he looked at her. She was old and hideous, and her skin was wrinkled, and worst of all, she was a leper. This creature grinned at him, showing a toothless mask. She had no ears. Her fingers that she, uh, she would normally use uh, that would cover her breast were gone, and it was just the palms of her hand. And he thought to himself for a moment, what a dirty, ugly, repulsive woman. But then... The rude shock of it dawned upon him, and he said, no, it's not the woman that's dirty and ugly and repulsive. It's my own heart. It's my own heart. And see, guys, I want to tell you that when we begin to drift from God, it's because of issues that are going on in our heart. I want to ask you right now, I want to ask, first of all, if our... our Deacons and elders, if you will just go and kind of line up against the wall. It's going to be kind of a ministry time. And some of you remember back in January, I felt like the Lord had given me a word that the light was going to be a place of healing, of all kind of healing, of physical healing emotional healing, and spiritual healing. And it was not going to be a one-man show. It was not going to be me. It was not going to be about our leadership, but it was going to be about the people of the light. You know, Ephesians says to, that God has given apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so what I want to, what I want to do now and I'm going to ask uh, Isaac and Tim, if you guys would just stand right here too, please, uh, to pray uh, for younger people that might want to pray with you. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to ask, just if you would, just, just kind of bear with me, okay? Because I, I feel like God wants to do something this morning. Some of you have gone through incredible trials. And I sent an email to our leadership about those that have passed through the waters and have not drowned, and those that have gone through the fire and not been burned. And many of you have done that. You've been through that. You've been, you know, either, you know, you've had a drug addiction problem. No, just hang on. Just if, just if you would just bow your head and close your eyes for a second because I, I need you to help me. Yet you've gone through a... If I, if I mention this and you've, you've been through this and you've been set free, and I mean absolutely set free, I want you to raise your hand. You've been through a drug or alcohol problem, you've been absolutely set free. All right. I want you to get up and go stand next to one of those men over there, okay? One of those men or women. All right. 
you've gone through an incredible sickness. You've gone through, some of you have gone through, you know, cancer, gone through some kind of almost to the point of death kind of sickness. I want you to raise your hand. Is that you? So when talking to you, I want you to get up and go stand next to you're, you're going. You're, you're, you're going over there. The person you're standing next to is the prayer leader, and you're going to be a prayer partner with these with these men, okay? Men and women that are standing over here, all right? All right. Some of you have gone through an incredible, you know, just lost it all financially, and uh, you've recovered. God restored to you what had been taken away. Anybody I'm talking to? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Anybody talk? Am I talking to anybody? Anybody at all? Okay, right. Okay. I want you to go stand next to one of these folks over here. All right, so that doesn't leave, that leaves, uh, you know, we covered a lot. We covered, covered sickness and we covered uh, uh, finances. I'm just going to ask you, some of you are in the fire right now. You're in the fire and you're wondering, God, will I survive this? Or you are in the waters and you feel like you're going under. Like Peter, you feel like you're going under. Is that you? Am I talking to you right now? Raise your hand. I need you to raise your hand right now. All right, I want you to get up. I want you to get up and just go stand. These these, these folks, these, these are guys that have, they've endured the test. They've endured the test. You go on, maybe, maybe there's a, a sin in your life. Now listen, we got people over here that are standing against the wall that have overcome some great sin. Uh, you know, whatever it may be, adultery or fornication or drugs or alcoholism. You know, you got some, you've got something going on in your life that you can't seem to get over. You're stuck. You're paralyzed like the man that was paralyzed and he, was, he remained paralyzed until Jesus said, get up. And God's speaking to you right now. If you need a breakthrough, if you want to see life in a different way, I'm asking you to, to stand up and get up and walk over there. Take your mat. Get your mat. Get your mat. Stand up. Get your mat and walk over there because somebody wants to pray for you and wants to see you get set free this morning. I encourage you, please go. Please go. God's, God's going to do something. Remember, that He said, this is going to be a healing church. And God is going to do some incredible things, not because of who I am or because of who the worship team is, but because God is God and He loves you and He wants to do something in your life. All right? If you've got any other need in your life right now, you're concerned about a young one, a loved one, a, you know, concerned about somebody that's not saved, I want you to get up and go stand with, beside someone because they prayed for people that they love and they've seen them come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Just please, please, please pick up your cot and go. Pick up your cot and go. All right, so I'm just going to make one last appeal, okay? And then the rest of us, we're just going to worship God because the Bible says that, that God inhabits the praises of his people, okay? So is there anything, look, look, please, just, again, let's just bow our heads and 
close our eyes. And I'm just going to ask you one question. Is there anything, is there anything that you want God to do in your life today? Anything at all? Just raise your hand. Am I talking to anybody? Is there anything that you want God to do in your life? Anything at all? I mean, don't put a limit on it. All right, those of you that have your hands raised, please go stand next to somebody and pray. Please go stand next to somebody and pray. Lorraine and Meryl and Nina, and we need some more help. And uh, I, I'm, I'm going to ask uh, uh, Edward and, and and really that your whole family, that whole, you guys get up just in, in your family in teams and just go stand right back there, please. Uh, we got more people that want prayer than we have people to pray. And just, you guys, just team up together if you would, please. And so the rest of us, I'm trusting that we're, we're, we're doing good, okay? And so we're just going to worship the Lord, and uh, I'm going to just ask Rolando to lead us in something. And uh, we're going to, you know, just, I'm just going to, I want to pray, Father, just in Jesus' name. Lord, you hear the cry of your people. You heard the cry of the children of Israel in Egypt. Lord God, they, when they were under such a heavy task, taskmaster, God, and uh, God, they wanted to see you break through. They wanted to be set free from their captivity. And God, your word says that you heard their cry and you responded. And your word says that you will not neglect the cry of the afflicted or the needy. And I'm asking you, Lord God, to hear the cry of everyone that's crying right now. Their hearts are broken, Lord God, and they need a breakthrough in their life. And Father, we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would break through, bring healing, bring deliverance, Father. Father, let restore uh, joy, Father. Lord God, that your word says that you gave me beauty for ashes. You gave me the oil of joy for mourning. You gave me a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness, Lord God. Father, for those that are sitting, and now we're going to be standing, I'm just going to ask all of you that are sitting to please stand up. And we're just going to worship God. And as you're worshiping God, and however you worship, lifting your hands or kneeling or you know, really, and honestly, if you don't feel, if you're physically, you don't feel like you need, you can stand, just stay seated. But we're going to worship God. But as we're worshiping God, we're praying, God, break through. Break through in their lives. God, break through. Lord, we worship you. But break through in their lives. Break through in their lives.